Welcome, podcasters. You are listening to another episode of Tell Me Why, a resource for athletes, coaches, and parents in sport. Co-hosted by Dr. Jenny Christerna and U.S. Speed Skating Hall of Fame inductee Patrick Wentland. This podcast is developed as a resource for athletes, parents, coaches, and referees looking to improve player development and performance. Conversations and opinions expressed on this show are not intended as medical or clinical advice. Welcome, podcasters, to another episode of Tell Me Why. Today, we are discussing how to improve your mental game. We're going to talk about focus, stress, visualization, imagery, concentration drills, relaxation, meditation, you name it. This is a, is a great point for both Jenny and myself, my co-host today, Dr. Jenny Christerna, and we are ready to go. So, Jenny, would you like to start us off? Let's really dive into what's the best way for our athletes to work on imagery and, and mental preparation. How do we really work to improve our mental game? Since we talked on our last episode that you could be the strongest person in the world physically, but if you don't have the mental game to back it up, you're not going anywhere. So mental game, as we've discussed, is 50-50 compared to your physical, as far as I'm concerned. We need to work yeah. on it. What do we do? So the first thing that you want to do is have a point. Like, what's the reason that I'm doing this? If you're doing it for some intrinsic motivating reason or some extrinsic mode, I just, I want to be the best. I want to be, I want to get sponsorships. I want to be able to just hold the title. That would be more extrinsic motivating factors. If you wanted to do it because I want to challenge myself, I'm doing this because I want to prove to myself that I can, or I, I want to beat my best time or whatever the case may be. Those are more internal reasons and rewards that you might look for. So you have to be very clear, like, what is the point of you doing all of this work? The Great. word part is, you know, I'll see athletes are doing this because, you know, I'm supposed to, or my dad or my mom wants me to, but they don't have a reason to do it. You're doing it for your dad. So your mom and dad won't be angry with you. So they'll be proud of you. Isn't really enough of a reason for some people it may be. But you have to buy into that reason. Okay. You got you it. Have to, it has to belong to you. It cannot be something that, that you're doing just for someone else you're supposed to out of duty or obligation. You have okay. to own it. So there are some countries that if you don't win, you know, at the Olympics, you don't, you don't work, right? That's tied in. That's a, that's a way that they make their living, you know. But if you're in a situation or a country or a culture where it's just for fun, let it be for fun. But everybody has to have a reason that they're doing this. That's the first thing. What's your reason? And nobody knows that with you. And you have to be honest with yourself. And you should let your coach and your team know this is why I'm doing it. They're going to have their reasons why they're doing it for you. Coaches might be like, I want to be able to say I coached, you know, Pat Wentland or Michael Phelps or Apollo Ono or something like that. But you have to have your own reason. So don't worry about anybody else's reason. Worry about yourself. So that's the first thing. The second thing that you want to do is once you have the reason, you have to give yourself some kind of time frame, right? So is it that I'm training for the next Olympics? I'm training for the next world event, world championship, whatever that might be. Sometimes there are, you know, people have national competitions and that's every year. Maybe you're training for that. 
So you have to give yourself some deadlines, some dates. That way you can scale your practice to be ready by this date. Just like we talked about making the plan. That's right. So okay. you, you have to have those things or else it's not going to be as effective. So those are the three things that you really need. Now, after that, then we can develop a plan for you around mental preparation. Because if you have a goal of making the team, you know, some, some competitive team and that tryout is in like 60 days, and that's going to look very different mentally and physically than if you have four years to the next Olympics or to the next World Cup. So the timing, the reason you're doing it and being able to own it, all those things, th those, those are really important. So that's where I would start. Great. So and yeah, and let's start with my biggest weakness when I was younger, confidence. If you want to be, we're trying to train the best of the best here. We want to get out into that playing field, to that game, to that starting line, whatever we're, wherever we're at. And we want to feel like we are the king and no one can touch us. We are the best out there. How do we improve our confidence? Well, that depends. It depends on the individual. And this is where I tell people it's not a cookie cutter, right? Your confidence is wholly tied into what you believe you can do. If you don't believe you can do this, we're going to have to develop your confidence in a very different way than someone who's like, I know I can do it. I'm motivated to do it. What do I need to do? So everything is going to be contingent on the kind of mindset the athlete already has. So I'm going to give you a oh, couple of general mindsets that I tend to come across often. Okay. Sure. So the one mindset is I want to do it but I don't believe I can. Like, how am I going to do that? I'm scrawny, I'm slow, you know, I'm growing into my body, so I'm a little gangly right now or whatever. I run like this. And their, their confidence is just really, really low and understandably so. With those kind of individuals, I'm, I, I tell people, you're not crazy. I haven't met a crazy person yet, all right? You gotta get out there a little bit. I, I can't be this with you. I can't. <laughs> People, do you see what I have to deal with when I, when I, I can't, I can't not smile when I'm working with that. So, right. but, but one of the things that I tell people is I haven't met a crazy person yet. And just because you feel badly about something or you're, you're doubtful about something, you're not confident about something doesn't mean, you know, it's not true. Right. I always there's a saying in psychology that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean no one's out to get you. It's just an excessive amount of paranoia. So yep. there's a healthy level of doubt, because if you're saying, oh, I'm sorry, that's my calendar. If you're saying, for example, hey, you know, I don't think I can do it. I'm growing into my body. I'm not fast. I'm just not as fast. It's like these things are truths. I tell people all the time, just because it's. It's painful doesn't mean it's not true. If you're slow, you're slow. And if you are running a 400 meter or if you're doing a 100 yard dash and you're like, I'm not that fast, that's not a lack of confidence. That is what we talked about a couple of podcasts ago. That's an accurate assessment of your ability. And it's important There's that physical changes we need to make. There you go. And it's important that people not confuse the two. Every, everybody doesn't, and I might get some, you know, some pushback and people being all upset with me. Well, be upset with 
your therapist and, and your diary, because I'm going to say it. Everybody doesn't deserve a medal. They just don't. That's not how you're going to grow. That's not how you're going to learn. You're not five. When you're 13 and older, and even sometimes when you're about 12, depending on the level of competition and depending on the makeup of that individual, you don't deserve a medal. You deserve feedback. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You need to demonstrate where you're capable of doing and then build from there. And that's the problem that a lot of athletes have. Their parents are like, oh, great job. You know, you did wonderful. And the kid is sitting there going, I hate that. Like, that was horrible. Yep. And the parent or the coach is like, no, that, you know what, you did your best. That last part might be true, but that doesn't negate the first part, which is I taint that I did horribly. Yeah. Especially uh, because it's been 45 minutes and everybody has left and I'm still finishing my one lap of the track. Yeah. We can have some truth with compassion. And so the reason I'm coming to that is because it goes back to what we talked about, which is the assessment. Everything that you're going to build on when somebody is saying, I don't think I can do that, we have to see how accurate that is. Just because it doesn't yep. sound nice doesn't mean it's not accurate. We, build, we, we set people up to fail where we make them believe that, no, you can't. It's like, literally, my feet just grew two sizes. I'm not running this race and being eloquent at it. I'm tripping over my feet or air or something. So we have to stop making people doubt themselves and what they are intuitively noticing about their ability. We have yep. to go, okay, well, what part of that is true? What part of that is maybe a little hyperbolic and a little resistant and a little avoidant? But we need to identify what core part is true and, and, and start from there. So that's the one kind of athlete. The other so kind I'm of athlete. You. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was, yeah, I was just going to add in, you know, it really ties into what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and building your plan. But for me, as, as the coach or the athlete side of things, yeah, you see your weakness and, and that's going to cause you to have less confidence. And that's exactly where you're going. You, exactly. you're, you're slow. Well, we'll go, we'll continue along with that one. As a coach, I was working with athletes to improve that slowness. So we're getting faster, we're getting faster. And we talked about this earlier too, where I would get those athletes in practice to be doing times and intervals at world record pace. They're doing, they're doing the fastest times that people have skated to date in the world. Wow. They get in the competition with the world champion and the Olympic champion sitting next to them. And they're like, I can't beat this guy. And I'm like, you've, you've been doing the times they're doing. You've done the work. You've, you've done it all. Yeah, I've never beaten this guy. I can't beat him. I can't beat him. And, and I know in my heart and my head from experience that the, you keep give them the opportunity. They will. They'll get a little closer. They'll get a little closer. They'll pass them. Maybe they get passed back, but eventually they pass them and hold on to it and they win and, and somehow they beat them. And then that guy's in the rear view mirror and they never see him again. But it, it's getting, it's getting to that point faster. I mean, we're doing the work physically. We fix the weaknesses. We get there stronger, faster, but we got to fix it up here to be able to keep up with the body, the mm. physical part. 
So remember the last podcast we talked about this, we touched on it a little bit, and I'm glad you're bringing it up again, because what happens is the the body can only do what the mind allows it to do. You, you have to practice game time conditions, and that's where imagery and visualizations are the most powerful, because if you imagine it and it's real in the brain, the more real it is, the brain believes it's done it. And that's what you need. That's what you just described. You've described a number of opportunities where I have won. So now I believe I have won. The brain believes it has won. So now it's conditioned a certain way. Here's the thing. And I want to make sure everyone listens to what I'm about to say. This takes time. You know, it's one thing to, to do something in a classroom and practice and, and theory. It's another thing to apply that theory, apply what you've practiced in real life, because there are so many dynamics that you could not account for in the classroom, in practice. You can't account for anxiety. You can't account for somebody else actually getting better. You can't account for the kid that you never thought about or never heard of who comes up and takes it and beats the both of you. You, you, there are too many unknowns that we can't possibly fathom. So this is why when you do what the visualizations, what we're talking about today, that imagery, that focus, that skill set, that is something that is practiced as part of your practice in whatever sport you're in, right? And your visualization is going to be different, but it still needs to happen as part of your training. If you're visualizing regularly and consistently as part of your physical training too, because those two go together, mind and body, then there's, I don't care what you do in practice. It's never going to translate in, in, in application in the real world because your mind isn't conditioned. Your body is, but your mind isn't. I don't care how strong you are. I can come up and, t- and trash talk you. And you're, yeah. my mother, yeah. little over so much, that's so mean. It's just like, you know, seriously, I, I've seen... <laughs> This is horrible. I've seen athletes go up to somebody, go, you know, let me borrow your sister. It's like, and then the person just loses it. Yep. Yeah, this is great stuff. Yeah, I want to continue on the, what we're talking about with building the confidence. This imagery thing, we're going to, we're going to talk about that for a while because it's something that I've been working with my athletes on. They can't get it. They don't do enough of it. I think it's just a huge training tool. But I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to get you off track with where you were going earlier. Oh, the second person, the second kind of athlete. So the second type of athlete is the athlete who has overvalued him or herself. I am the best. It's like, well, yeah, you're you're a house athlete, as I call it. Yeah. And so remember in Taekwondo, I'm like, oh, you're a house fighter. They'll do really. I can beat well that guy. All right. They'll, they they fight everybody. They beat everybody up. In, in the dojang and then they go out and they, they might have a little harder time, you know, at local competitions, but they might eke out a win, but you put them in a regional, you put them in States or something, then you send them to national. And it's just like, you know, a rag doll getting thrown around that ring. And that's because they haven't been exposed to different styles and different types of fighting. Everybody has their uh, energetic fingerprint that they leave on everything that they do, especially sports. This is why Michael Jordan can do Michael Jordan stuff. This is why LeBron can do LeBron stuff. This is why all, all these people who are pretty famous in the sports arena can do what they do, even though other people can do it too. They just do it differently. They just, there's something about how they do it. So if you're a house, house athlete and you've overvalued your ability, 
then you're going to struggle quite a bit. That's a different kind of confidence. That's actually the hardest one. Yeah, I would think. That's the hardest one because all you need to do is get one good loss. Those are the type of athletes that are, at my opinion, at higher risk of not competing in that sport again. So I worked with an athlete once. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I worked with an athlete once who I'm feeling was somewhere along that line where he had a problem trying to win. His theory in his head was, I don't want to lose. So he would play from the back. And if he had enough energy left at the end, he would try and make a sprint to the finish and win. But his theory in his head, he's told me this was, if I use everything I have from the start and I don't win, I'm never going to be able to do anything because I know in my head, I can't beat those guys and I'm not good enough. So what I'll do, I'll just use whatever I have left at the end and try to do as best I can instead of, so I'm not losing, but I'm not actually trying to be the winner, the best. So he literally would always hold back just enough because, and as he said, if I, if I actually gave everything I had and I couldn't beat those guys, I'm history. I could never compete again against those guys and I will never win because he just, he just believed that way. And here's the thing. So you're, you're talking about a a different kind of athlete. You're talking about the third type of athlete. The third Third. type of athlete is the person that is like, I want to win, but I'm scared to, I want to win, but I'm scared to win because what if I try to win? And I don't, that's one, uh, then I fail. But what if I, if I try to win and I do, and I can't do it again, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of athletes, you know, have some resonance with that. I want to go back to the athlete that overvalues him or herself, because that's the other bookend on this continuum with the first one, which is the athlete is like, I can't do anything. So the athlete who has overvalued himself or her, or herself or themselves is the type of athlete that we want to look at in a very different way. That's the athlete we want to get grounded. We want to help them develop perspective. Those are the athletes you have to go in a little more slowly with and with more education. You have to talk with them like something like this. Not everything I say you have to do exactly, but you might say something like, hey, just so you know, you're really good here. You're going to be competing at a higher level, which makes you a smaller fish. Not the smallest, but every level you go up, you're going to be, you're going to kind of start over a little bit. You're going to get a taste of, you know, some different styles that you're not accustomed to. So you're going to learn a lot. So our goal when we go into this new space is we're going to expect to lose, not because you're bad, but because we're learning. So you want to shift the focus from winning to learning. What did you learn? Right. Because if you lose, that's where we're going to learn the most. And then what we're going to do is apply what we've learned to the next one. And that's why I said, how much time do you have? Yeah, I'm thinking that's a progression thing where you just keep. There we go. All right. I'm getting a little better. I'm getting a little better. And that confidence probably, I'm assuming, starts building along with that as we go. No. That's with the first one. With this one, the confidence doesn't get depleted. Right. It's not like bursting their balloon. Got it. Right. So the first one is we're building up. Hey, that's okay. We're just going to try not to trip, you know, for the first five steps. Right. Say they're grown, you know, and boys do this quite a bit. Right. They go from being 13 to 15 and all of a sudden you wake up and you you have Michael Phelps laying in the bed. Now you got to get a new bed. So 
they they can grow really fast. And it does take boys a little longer. They're like baby gazelles when they have those types of, you know, growth spurts. And it takes them a little bit. And we have to encourage them. It's like, uh, that's not because you're not slow because you're, you're not slow because you, you can't do this. You're slow because you've got to get used to your body, your center of gravity. Remember in, in, in coaching, your center of gravity, if your center of gravity is shifting, you're, you're going to look weird. Yep. You're going to feel weird. The person who's overvalued, we're here. We're not in the, in the, in the body piece. We're here. We're saying you're going to compete with people who have been at this place where you're just entering a lot longer than you have. So they are very comfortable here. Don't go in too comfortable because that's when you're more likely to get hurt. Go in there to figure out, oh, what's right. We're going to go in and read the room, so to speak. Okay. Right. So you're getting them ready here so they don't get frustrated or get defeated or feel humiliated. Because now we're going in with this plan that I talked about a few moments ago. Yep. There has to be a plan. So you have to know what kind of athlete you're working with. If it's a natural athlete where they're really good and they just don't really think about it, that's one thing. If it's a made athlete where you can train them, that's actually ideal. But you have to know what kind of mindset your athlete has. If you don't, you could set them up inadvertently to be really, really disappointed and, and it will be hard for them to come back from that. Takes so we're longer. trying to set it up, you know, and then you now have that third athlete where, you know what, the pressure to win is just too freaking great, man. I mean, I don't want to disappoint myself. And then I don't want to, you know, there, there's some unrealistic expectations you all might have with me. <laughs> what if I can't be consistent with that? Yep. So the, the one book in and, and, the, and, the, and the athlete in the middle are more of, of this mental piece. Like you have to really focus on education. The, the doubtful athlete, that's part of it too, but it's more assuring. Hey, we're growing into this because they're already uneasy but yeah. for a different reason. They're like, I don't think I can do it. So we're showing them that they can over time. We're building them up. The other ones, we're, we're trying not to have them fall off of this pedestal where they could break. One, we're building up. The other end, we, we don't want them to fall and shatter. The one in the middle, okay, you know, we're, we're going to, we have to manage this. They, they do this pendulum swing. So we have to keep them here in the middle. That's, that's amazing. I never even knew that there was differences in working on someone's confidence. I mean, probably because I had my own issues. He's got his, she's got hers. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't know what those are, but I mean, right. I'm sure everybody listening can put themselves into one of those categories. You know, I, I've been watching the Michael Jordan's The Last Dance lately. And, and that's just one segment of uh, a machine, a mental machine that blows my mind I'm, where he was at and the way he could physically, mentally push himself to get ready for a game to, I'm, I'm going to dominate those guys and they are just going down. Every single game, every practice, he was able to do that. And uh, to me, that's just, and that's why he was who he was. I mean, the guy is right. just phenomenal. And, and I think to myself, gosh, if I had that ability or even knew how to get there, what mm -hmm. you could do. And I think with any athlete, listen to us now, just you, if you haven't seen that show, you have to go watch Michael Jordan's last dance on, on Netflix mm -hmm. and just the, the mental strength of a guy like that. So commanding and mm -hmm. powerful 
where he could dominate his him. He could push himself physically and mentally just because he wanted to win so bad and didn't like to come in second. And it's just, it was just mind blowing. But yeah, back to where, where you were at, just to me as a coach, trying to get an athlete to that level is, is my goal. And I'm not even a mental coach, a psychologist in any way, but I see these weaknesses that the, these athletes have. And, and now I even know there's different ways to address each one. I've only been looking at one way that I knew. So that, that's extremely helpful for me. Yeah. And and I tell coaches all the time, it's just like, look at the kind of athlete and there is an inventory you can give an athlete. It's called the athlete's mental edge, the AIM, A-M-E. And when I give it to my athletes, they learn so much about themselves. Like, oh, that's why I do what I do. It's like, you do what you do. Boom. It takes them, what, what, 15, 20 minutes to do it, if that. And then I go over the results with them. And it's just a beautiful thing to see their eyes light up, to hear this relief like, oh, that's why I do that. Right. When we, when the mind is entertained, is indulged, is satisfied, saturated, whatever word you want to use, now the mind can trust the person giving them the information and now they will listen. Now they will listen. So when I did the sports psychology with USA Taekwondo, the coaches would have their their schools and their top athletes do the aim. And the coach would sit in on the aim. So the coach would hear, this is the kind of athlete you have. This is th- These are their strengths. These are their weaknesses. These are the things that they respond well to. A made athlete, right? A strategically focused athlete. You can only tell them one or two things at a time. You can only teach them and coach them on one or two things at a time. And during competition, one or two things. If you do more than that, they get confused. It's just like now they don't do anything. They they just freeze. But yep. a natural athlete, you don't tell them what to do. You do not tell them what to do. You describe what's happening around them. You are their second set of eyes. They will figure out what to do. You have to know what kind of athlete you're sitting with. Wow. And that's the same for confidence. If you tell a natural athlete what to do, they're going to give you the psychological smack. If you tell a made athlete what you see, they're going to go, and I'm doing what with this information? Like, <laughs> what, what do I do? You're yeah. telling me this because. And if you think about it, if you, when the parents sit in on it, parents are like, that's why he does not listen. That's why he yeah. doesn't clean his room. It's just like, your room's dirty. He's like, right, and you want me to do well with it? I'm fine with it. That's why some kids, you have to tell them, straighten your bed, pick up your clothes, put it in the basket, sweep the floor, right? You have to tell them what to do, not because there's something wrong with them, but because they think more strategically, like, what do you want me to do? Natural athletes are like, oh, it's dirty. Oh, I didn't realize it got so dirty. And they'll just clean it. You don't have to tell them what to do. So you have to know what kind of mindset you're dealing with. And I see coaches all the time. They just, they, they, they coach every athlete the same. I was like, but that's, not actually the kind of mindset every athlete has. You know, that's something I just learned recently and, and, you know, learning about the different generation gaps and the communication levels and how each generation is, is communicating differently. And it's just, it's so much, such great information that unless you really dive into it and really understand how to coach the older generation, a younger generation, everybody learns differently, thinks differently. focuses differently, but what you just filled me in on is mind blowing to me is going to 
going to help out a ton of athletes. Can you find this AIM Athletes Mental Edge program online that that athletes can take? Is that something no. easy to find? No. You have to find either a sports psychologist or a sports coach or a sports consultant. They have to be able to administer it. Okay. So okay. it's for, you can, so it's, they have different sports that they've already scaled it to. I took it and scaled it for Taekwondo and for some soccer. So you can do the aim for an individual. You can do the aim for a team, right? You can do a different version of it for leadership. I give the aim to my coaches all the time because I tell coaches, you need to know what kind of mindset you have. You need to know yeah. what your strengths and your weaknesses are. Because most of the coaches that I've worked with, they were also athletes in that sport. So what kind of athlete were you? Because that's going to be how you coach. So if you don't know if you're a natural athlete or a made athlete, if you're strategic, right, or not, then you're going to coach the way you have been coached or the way that you like to be coached would make sense to you. That might not translate to your, to your, to your, your athletes. And that can be a problem. And so when I think of sports, for example, like soccer, this is in large part, when I talk to folks, this is in large part why I see some people move from team to team or from club to club. Because the coach barks at them and, and says A, B, C, or D, or explains too much and they lose the kid, right? Because they think it's one size fits all. And it's like, yep. no, there are some kids that if, you treat, if you coach a natural, I mean, a made athlete, excuse me, if you coach a made athlete well, you won't be able to tell that they're a made athlete. They're going to look just like a natural athlete. Wow. And if you're a solid coach, you can create a Michael Jordan. You can get a kid or an athlete excited about the sport because now you're speaking to their so now you're speaking at an energetic level in a way that that makes sense to me. Yeah. But if you are trying and you don't seem to be getting through to that athlete, then there's something off. There's a mismatch somewhere. Wow. Either you are insistent upon coaching this way and you're not going to adapt, which is fine. It's your team. It's not my business. Or you're trying to figure out how to best coach, but you don't know what kind of athlete you have. And if you have a team where there's like 20 players on the team or 15 players on the team, that's 15 personalities. And if you're just like shooting, you know, in, the, in a pool full of fish and hoping you get some, then your, your team is going to be a reflection of that. Wow. I know I've struggled with different athletes from time to time, just feeling like I can't get through to them. And like, you're not listening, you're not understanding when... I did some self-reflection on that as a coach and think, well, okay, I, I need to do some thinking about how I am coaching or addressing these athletes and, and change up some things. And sometimes I'm still not getting it. And, and now I'm even understanding a little bit more on that, that, you know, there's multiple different ways that these athletes really understand, accept this information process or think it. Uh, this is just for me as a coach, uh, as an athlete, is great information, Jane. It's just mind-changing. And, and, here, and here's something for the, for the coaches. They're not going to like it. Most oh, coaches well. don't. Because now they're going to have to learn something too. 
right now they're not going to be proficient at something. They're going to have to be open and go, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning. And that's a sense of humility that most coaches don't have. I'm not saying you don't have it. I know you, you're, you're very humble unless you're talking about me and, and teasing. But the point <laughs> is, is that, <laughs> but the point is, is that it requires a level of humility for the coaches too. Yep. And that's going to be hard because as a coach, if a parent or a kid is saying, hey, my kid doesn't learn well this way, doesn't mean you have to change the way you coach, but you have to be receptive. You have to be open to maybe I need to do something different with this particular athlete. Yeah. And if you're not open to that and you're like, don't tell me how to run my team and blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a problem. It's yeah, be a I've problem. run into that exact situation a few times. And again, I'm pulling my hair out. Like I, I can't get through to this kid. What, what is going on? And you know, it, it took some time really having a conversation with that athlete, with their parents included. And you know, they would tell me, oh yeah, you know, he, he's a visual learner. He needs this. She, she understands better this way. Um, you know, you just have to repeat it two or three times or explain it this way and then she'll understand it better. And I, and as a coach who's been coaching 35 years, one way, what, I can't just yell at them and they do it. You know, that's what, that's how it's supposed to work, but it's not that way anymore. And it's, that's just great information. I love it. And so here's the thing though. Okay, so this is why I like the aim. And I tell people, people, you know, when I do it, everyone else is like, oh, do you have a camera in my house? Do you have a crystal ball? And I'm like, ooh, I do. And then I do my little horn thing like this. And, you know, and then I'm like, I'm just messing with you. And they don't think it's funny. I don't know why people <laughs> think that. It's not that funny. So, but what I tell, what I really love about the aim is it takes what the parents may know about their kid and say they, they had them tested and, and they, yes, my kid does need repetition. What I really like about the athlete's mental edge, and that's why I tell people, find somebody in your area that, that can do it. I forget who owns it. I, I have my resource that I use. That's going to bug me. Okay. Anyway, so what I do is I sit down and I do the aim and I explain to them the aim. Anytime you're dealing with the sports, what you're seeing is all of the challenges an athlete has on display. So what I like about the aim is it takes it and it makes it really, really practical and, in a, and it's condensed, it's concise, it is an inventory. So it's not judging, it's not, it's not this final, oh, this is how you are, you're a visual learner, buddy. This is what your tendency is and when you have this tendency. So there's a part of the aim where if you're dealing with an athlete and you're a coach, I'll, I'll, there's a, there's a way the graph shows up and it's like, oh, so let me ask you this question. I'll say something like this. So it seems like you, you're not just loyal. You don't, you're not a follower. And they're like, no, I said, and then I'll say something like, oh, my guess is before you decide to trust any coach or anybody in general, they have to demonstrate that they're confident, that they're trustworthy and that they know what they're doing. And that they can explain like that. what they're doing to you. Yep. That is when you will give your loyalty. And they're like, yeah, that is a very different part of loyalty and connection with a coach than the individual saying, hey, I give my, my if you're my coach and I, I'm going to immediately give my trust over you. Do you know how many coaches 
If you don't sign up and give them your full trust, they don't want to work with you. And it's like, that's just not the personality that is coming in your door right now. That doesn't mean they're not coachable. It doesn't mean they're not a great athlete or have great potential. It just means that you coach as as an adult and as a leader, as their coach, you're going to have to develop some humility and go, this type of person, they need me to demonstrate that I know what I'm doing as much as I need them to demonstrate that they have the ability. That goes both ways if you have that type of athlete. Not the ego-driven athlete. There's something very different, which is why I like the aim, because the aim will tell you what you're working with. So there isn't any guesswork going back and forth. Oh, my God. It is really about this is the kind of makeup for this individual. And me as a coach, I know my makeup. This is why I tell coaches, take the aim yourself. Know what your makeup is. So that way, when you work with an athlete and say they don't have a name, you know what your triggers are. You know what your thumb screws are. That can give you an inkling into that particular mindset of the athlete. And that can help you decide what kind of visualizations and imagery you're going to do with them and how you're going to help them focus. Yeah, I got to find that just for myself because I'm curious now. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you for free. I'll, I'll let you take it and I'll give it to you for free and then I'll review the results with you. And wow. then I'll post uh, it online for everybody to see. And, yeah, that's know. a little scary. <laughs> wow. I mean, just just knowing that that's information I haven't known, knowing how I think. I mean, I think I know, but I'm probably completely off, and especially towards coaching. I don't know. There, there's, I, I know I have a problem communicating with certain athletes. And it's just different, and especially at younger generations now. They... They think different. They uh, hey, learn differently. It's it's difficult, and and there, you got all these different personalities, especially especially if you work another team sport. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of work. And remember, absolutely, ton of work. And remember, as they get older, their aim is going to look different. As you evolve, your aim is going to look different. So I've had people they just take the aim once a year and see how they've developed and grown over time. You have some made athletes that end up looking like a natural athlete. They're just intuitive. They're able to shift between internal and external focus very smoothly. And so over time, this is why I say you can have a made athlete who will look just like a natural athlete, and now they're just responsive. Okay. They're, they're just doing it. They don't even think about it anymore. Their strategy score goes down. So the eight, you're going to change. So sometimes it's not about older and younger generations. Sometimes it's about, I've changed. I've, I used to be more patient when I was younger and now I'm like, get off my lawn. Yeah. So you're just, you know, sometimes we just change and we just need to be aware of how we've changed. That's why I do like this particular inventory because it's an inventory. It just reflects back to you in a more concrete way. So it feels safe. It feels objective because you filled it out. Yeah. And now you can hear it. Great information. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This has changed in my coaching world already, and I can't wait to get some athletes on that and myself and learn a little bit more about ourselves. Yes. Self-awareness. You guys know me in mental health and self, like we all, mental health, I tell you, and and just self-awareness is 90% of the struggle. If you can you know, whenever we project out into the world, scary stuff, bad stuff, that's because we've rejected it from ourselves. That's the only way we can project something. So we have to accept and take back in to ourselves those part of us that, that we've rejected 
That's how we become more solid. That's how we become more whole. That is how you build confidence truly in a genuine way, not in this, you know, Cliff Notes version, but whenever we can take parts of ourselves back that we would prefer not to have, that's when you feel good about you. Because those parts that you reject are very, very parts of you that bring you light, that bring you strength, that bring you comfort. You cannot be embarrassed or ashamed when you're okay with those parts of yourself. No one can make you feel anything because you own that and you love that part of yourself and how to use that to help you make, help you become stronger. So. Nice. You know, and that's, it goes back again to what we've been discussing and maybe it's my background and working with you, but we've been talking about mental training a lot on our podcast. I see it in all different levels of athletes. Some of them, you know, just built that way and have that ability to turn it on and they think they can defeat the world and they go out and do it. And others just struggle. They have all the skills in the world, but don't know how to put it on paper. Having that ability to push your body mentally to match your strengths physically is enormous or even make it better. I think we've talked about if, if you are strong mentally, you can actually push yourself physically further. If you are stronger physically, you can't push yourself past your mental capabilities because you have to be stronger mentally. It's, it's such a, a new field for a lot of athletes and a lot of people struggle with it. And uh, we're going to continue talking about this. I, I think we're probably going to have to save imagery and focusing and concentration, relaxation, meditation for segment number two, because yeah. this is just, there's just too much information for us to ru rush through it. What, what else do you want to give us on confidence building? So that's kind of really, what we've talked about today. Then after you kind of go through our last little bits of that, we'll talk about how to takeaways for our coaches, athletes, and parents and referees today. So confidence building, understand that whatever is hard for you to accept, it belongs to you. you. You need to find a way to bring that back in. And you need to understand if this is a part of you that you're growing into, if this is a part of you that you're overvaluing and to shore up or to cover up some other weaknesses, or if this is a part of you that you're afraid of, because what if I can't do it again? What if it were a fluke? right? I need to have a legitimate reason why I lost. I have to have this, I pulled my, my hamstring or else I would have took first place kind of thing. So you have to know for yourself in, in a very real and honest way, what part of you you're, you're rejecting because we need to have you bring that, those parts back or else this is where you stay. You're not going to grow much further past this point. So. Wow. That's very helpful information for a lot of our listeners. I'm sure I know I'm, I'm learning a lot from this. We're going to go back as we, we typically do on the end of all our podcasts and really talk about what, what's the takeaway for our different categories, our athletes, our coaches, and our parents and referees. What are they going to take away from this? I'm, I'm going to start with, with coaches since that's been my primary field for the last few years. You know, I learned a lot just learning about the different categories, the, the three different categories you, you talked about for athletes in terms of, of building confidence. That is all new to me. Uh, I thought everybody thought my way, which now I know what's wrong with the world. And then trying to figure that out, 
this whole AIM project in, you know, whether athletes can get a hold of that or coaches can get a hold of that or not, at least they know uh, all you coaches out there and athletes, parents, referees, at least you know that there are these different categories. There are different ways to learn. There's different ways to think. Everybody's got their own separate thing that's slightly different than yours. Take advantage of that information and really pay attention to the athletes you're working with and try to understand what direction. Like I say, if you don't have, if you can't get a hold of this AIM project, there may be other things out there, but really understand how that works, understand there are differences and work towards figuring what those differences are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For me, you know, I'm going to talk to the, to the athletes and to the coaches as well, as well as the parents. And I'm going to say again, parents invest in the assessment tools. The aim is one, but also understand that it's whatever you know about your child is one additional piece about your child that, you know, be open to learning more and, and, and find ways to help translate what you know to the coach. It's not so much that my kid is a visual learner, right? That's a part of it. But in terms of sports, in terms of coordination, in a physical way, how do they best learn? So we don't, as parents, I have four humans that I brought into this world. We, we want to believe that we know everything about them. And we do know a big chunk, but as they grow up and as they go out into the world and they're developing, we don't know as much as we want to know or as we did know when they were born. So we, we have to let go of some of that and be open to identifying resources to help our athlete. athletes be open, right? Be open to being honest with your coach, being honest with yourself, because you're going to have to, at some level, trust somebody outside of you to take you to the next level. There was the book I gave out in the last podcast, I'm Developing Talent in Young Adults. That is, it's a developmental way to go about learning and growing. Allow yourself to do that. Be patient with yourself and give yourself some grace and compassion. And for coaches, you know a lot. You, you have to tailor what you know to different types of people, right? Because we want you to share your knowledge and, and your gifts with as many people as possible. And that's how you leave your energetic fingerprint on the world. Learn how to do that with, with more range and more depth so you are not frustrated, so they're not frustrated and everybody can enjoy the sport more because you're not doing this for the money. Coaches don't make a ton of money. So being able to to do this and feel good about it is really important. So, Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that with the athletes and say, if you're struggling with your coach who's not understanding how you learn, how you listen and understand, get them to listen to this podcast. Maybe that will get them to understand, okay, there is something I, I haven't heard or I haven't learned. <laughs> listen to the podcast, get them to figure out that there, there are different ways out there. And, and most coaches like myself been coaching a long time, you don't understand that the changes in the generations and the changes in the difference in the people and how they're learning, how they're understanding. So yes, get it, get, tell the people, you know, and, and say that there are these different opportunities out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you listeners today and appreciate your time. Like we tell you, feel free to leave us a note on our message board and tell us what you think, what you've learned and what you'd like to learn. We're all ears and we'll try to respond to your comments as soon as we can. 
Thanks again from Tell Me Why, Dr. Jenny Christerner and Patrick Wentland. We look forward to seeing you next week when we will continue our talk on how to improve your mental game. We're going to talk a little bit more about imagery, focusing, concentration, relaxation, meditation. Look forward awesome. to seeing you next week. Bye.